Welcome to the Creative Condition Podcast, the show where I, Ben Talon, illustrator and writer, invite people from the creative industry and far beyond to share their story of creativity, both the nature and the nurture, the chaos and the calm. Creativity is a fundamental pillar of human happiness, something I'm increasingly fascinated by. It is so often misunderstood. So little by little, I hope to build an archive of valuable stories, experiences and tips to help you maximise yours. Today I'm joined by Managing Director of New York City Creative Agency Thought Matter. For all of her career in design, Jessie has been an outsider. She does not look like mainstream design and has, in fact, never belonged. She was not born in the US, a Salvadoran that doesn't speak Spanish. She is brown, short, loud and a mother of two kids in an industry that is 73% white. Jessie says she is steadfastly committed to using her position as an industry leader to redesign the world so that people like her belong. We're going to get into her previous role and learnings from work with billion dollar brands owned by the likes of Kimberly Clark, P&G and Colgate Palmolive and how she's been able to apply those learnings to the brilliant work by activist agency Thought Matter in order to get direct, tangible results from good design. Thought Matter do a lot more work than their activism, but it's at the heart of what they do, the identity they've built, and the reason that they are loved in the creative industry. So we're going to get into all that good stuff today. As ever, the music for the show is provided by the brilliant Dirty Freud. Check him out over at Dirty Freud on social media for his latest tunes and news. Welcome to another episode of the Creative Condition Podcast. My name is Ben Tallon. I am your host. As I mentioned at the top of the show, I hope you're enjoying the new direction and I know for a fact that you're going to love today's episode with Jessie Maguire. She is full of energy. I described her on the social media recently as a, a dynamo. I love that expression and I think she really fits it. She lifted me up for sure in the hour of our conversation and I'm going to share that with you shortly. It may not feel like it, but Jesse Maguire will hopefully serve as a reminder today about the power of our design. I know we're all having to wade through the heaviness of the internet in 2021 at the moment to find the uplifting stuff, but this certainly is a beacon I'm going to bring to you. But before we get into that, founding show sponsor Illustration X bring us another industry insight. So this is a new feature on the show, as I mentioned last week, where Illustration X use their position as an illustration and animation agency on the front line of the creative industry, spending their days talking to clients, noticing trends, changes and constants. Um, So they bring us these up-to-the-minute gems, food for thought for you guys, really valuable stuff. Uh, Last week we talked about the rise in the queries for animated work. So the stat was that in one year, 12 months, they've noticed a rise from 1% of all queries for illustration featuring animated work up to 10%. So that's quite the jump in 12 months. So that was food for thought last week. And this week we're going to get into the live event scene. So I don't know if you guys have ever worked live, whether that's in shops, uh, outdoors, working on murals, portrait work. There's all manner of kind of live event work that was kicking off before the pandemic. And for obvious reasons, there was quite the dip in those kind of queries. The agency do, you know, they told us that there were people adapting and working online and trying to do it that way, but there's just something that you can't get around that we all love about the in-person live experience. But I bring you good news. So the agency have noticed a resurgence in those kinds of queries. So in a lot of countries, including the UK, we have a kind of tangible 
target roadmap as the government are calling it out of lockdowns and i think people are bracing themselves for you know people getting back out on the streets and getting into shops again and getting out there and trying to have some fun and and i think we're going to see a big surge in social activity once we're allowed to so naturally it goes to say that, that there have been a lot more queries to this end um, I talked to the agency and there have been job queries internationally, nationally and getting booked in already. So it, maybe it's time for you guys that are interested in doing that or have got experience doing that to dust off those live event portfolios and to get ready for what seems to be a pickup in that particular market sector. So thank you to Illustration X. Go and check out the agency's brilliant animation and illustration work and all the other great work they're doing, including the uh, We Forest collaboration and the... Uh, 10 million trees project which you can go and read about over at illustrationx.com also a big thank you to fellow supporter of the show the association of illustrators the world illustration awards are now closed so i hope you got your entry in there uh, they extended the deadline and they're doing a lot of great work themselves in the, the industry on the business side of the illustration industry so before we get into today's conversation with thought matters managing director Jesse Maguire. Just want to say a big thank you for the awesome response for the last episode with former England Rugby Sevens coach Ben Ryan, who went on to take the Fiji job and in three years of complete adversity and challenges, but also magic, he took the Fiji national team to the country's first ever Olympic gold medal in Rio in 2016. And it's not just about sport and it's not just about creative thinking, but Ben Ryan is full of massive life lessons. Some of the advice on the psychology of creativity and, you know, becoming our best versions and enabling the people that work for us, with us, above us to become their own best versions. It's really, really, really was an inspiring conversation. So thank you for all the feedback on that. We got a lot. Get your feedback on that. Any other episode in the archive or today's conversation with Jesse over at... Ben Talon Pod on social media, on Instagram and Twitter, primarily. Looking forward to that. Always happy to hear, hear from you and get the conversation going. So, without further ado, today's episode. So, Thought Matter are, are a wonderful agency. So, I referred to them earlier in the show as an activist agency. That's not entirely true. That's not everything that they do. But it is a big part of what they do, and it is a big part of the soul. And Jesse's going to tell us that story today of how the identity of Thought Matter evolved how she sat down with Tom Jaff, who founded the agency, and had a big conversation about what it cared about, what it was into, what it was passionate about, what he did with his free time. And it's a really inspiring one. And I think there's a lesson of how we can sit down with others who know us, perhaps, and know what drives us and know what our why is, as Ben Ryan said last week. And asking them to tell us about us, and I think when people do that from the outside looking in, it kind of helps us to just get back in tune with what drives us and what we do care about and how we can apply that to our businesses, our creative drive moving forward. Uh, and Jessie does provide a wonderful example of how she did that with Tom Jaff and how Thought Matter did find its identity, particularly with the work that they care about, or as they describe it, work that matters. Um, they're brilliant. So here's from Thought Matter's website over at thoughtmatter.com. It says, the way colours play off each other, the way words sound together, the way paper feels in the hand, we understand why these things matter. Building a great brand is about thinking and identity through, from strategy to messaging to design. We bring an artful perspective to our work. We don't use a template. 
We don't have a formula. We begin each project by immersing ourselves in the challenge, asking what might be possible. So some of the projects that really grabbed my eye that have been uh, getting deserved wonderful press around the globe in the creative industry were their women's rights poster campaign. And this was a kickback when Donald Trump got elected in 2016. And I believe there was a, you know, a lot of policies and a lot of behavior from that administration that that challenged women's rights. And they responded to that in a very uh, immediate, instinctive, responsive campaign. And what's really awesome about that is Jesse talks about how creative work can potentially fall down when there's not a way to to measure the results to you know to get to to make sure there's direct action because you know we we often come up with projects that have got a great idea or maybe they've got a wonderful motivation at their heart because we care about something but as creatives i think we can sometimes be a little too preoccupied with the artistic side of things at the cost of results and measuring you know the impact our work has out there so jesse does discuss in depth why her work with bigger commercial brands in a previous role was pivotal and how now at Thought Matter her role as managing director is key to measuring the impact of these awesome projects, including this women's rights poster campaign. We're going to talk about the redesign of the US Constitution. Uh, They wanted to bring that to a younger audience and encourage them to learn about democracy. I think it's absolutely wonderful. And again, the way they got that out there into schools and the likes is just really, really inspiring. Covidity. That was a wonderful digital public art series of works shown during the pandemic in New York City. So there were short films, abstract pieces, trying to get in the mind of, you know, how people were feeling about being trapped indoors and about this unprecedented set of circumstances. So we're going to get into all that stuff about activism, about using it effectively and about design responsibility in today's world. So I'm really excited to hear about your thoughts on this one. Personally, I look back and uh, graphic activism was a real catalyst for me you know I'd kind of stumbled through uni and I worked hard and I explored illustration and I knew that I wanted to be an illustrator of some kind at that point but I didn't know what you know where to point that what my what you know I hadn't I hadn't truly tapped into the passion is what I'm trying to say and it was only when I sat down to write my dissertation and and at the time I'd been grabbed by the work of Banksy and I'd stumbled upon the work of Ken Garland the first first things first manifesto and all of a sudden I thought okay this makes sense this makes sense. There's a lot of design and art out there that's saying something that's powerful, that's comes from a place of passion, that comes from a, a, a fighting corner maybe. And, you know, this is saying something to me as an individual. And, and it gave me a clue. It gave me a, a ladder to get on where I was slowly but surely able to tap into the part of my character that would really, really get me going as an artist. And to this day, that momentum is still going. So I'm particularly excited about this one and I hope you are too. As I said, hit us up at Ben Talon Pod on the social media. Subscribe to the podcast, please, wherever you listen to these things, whether it's Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher. And also drop us a review, please. They're really, really valuable, and I know a lot of people have, so thank you if you've done that. It takes a couple of minutes just to help out the podcast to do this thing for free, so I hope that you'll do that. It does take up time in the schedule. It's time that I love using, but it really helps if you guys can get behind us with a review and just share the word, please. Do, you know, drop a little tweet out there if you liked one of the episodes. I know as a podcast listener, it's all too easy to kind of enjoy an episode and then get straight onto the next one without stopping to take the time just to support the show that's given me that joy or, or the, the insights or whatever it might be, wherever you listen to my podcast. So please, please do take a few seconds to support the show, however is best for your schedule. Let's keep exploring creativity and staying positive in the face of today's societal challenges. 
One of the things I love about this show is the unity it brings me with you guys out there. So let's keep it going. Our work does have meaning and power. Remember that. And I hope that you're going to relearn that from Jesse Maguire today. The Creative Condition Conversation. Currently, I am the managing director at a studio called Thought Matter. Uh, Thought Matter is in New York. It's in Manhattan. We're in like the Flatiron area. Um, I think like a lot of people, we haven't been there since March. <laughs> so uh, we have a studio of about 20 people and everyone now is kind of scattered everywhere. We have folks up in Maine and Connecticut and New Jersey and New York and, uh, you know, making do with uh, being able to work from home and, and whatnot. So um, yeah, so like I said, it's been about a year. We're actually about to have our work from home year anniversary, which is crazy because we left our office on March 13th. It was Friday the 13th for a test. Oh. We were like, this is going to be great. It's going to be, we're just going to see how everyone's Wi-Fi is, make sure everyone has like a comfortable seat at home in case, in case we have to, um, you know, do, do this for a couple weeks. Yeah. Uh, we left and uh, haven't come back. So it's been almost 52 weeks and it has, uh, yeah, it's definitely uh, forced us all to think differently, uh, forced us all to work differently, collaborate differently. And so I was joking with our um business advisor the other day that before the pandemic, obviously I was the managing director and now a year in, I'm like, now I'm really a managing director. Like I understand what that means. Like I understand the inner workings of not only the business, but also just how you motivate a team. Um, you know, I think management was something I, I kind of fell into. Uh, I think like a, a lot of designers and creatives, you go, you go to art school and you're like, I'm going to just make and create. It's going to be great. And I'm not, you know, who depends on, do I work for someone? Do I not work for someone? Um, and I feel like I've done everything around the, you know, uh, around it. And now I'm at a, at a role where I really am just supporting and advocating for designers, uh, really helping them to understand, you know, what is the capacity for their own creativity? What is the capacity for our studio's creativity? How can we help organizations? How can we help um, individuals and entrepreneurs uh, see their vision through uh, by utilizing a marketing and branding and, and design studio. So um, I know a lot a lot of people joke when they get to management, they take away your creative suite, which they do. I don't have creative suite on my computer anymore. Um, so it's, uh, it's different. But I, like I said, I think uh, this uh, last, specifically this last year has really helped me understand how important it is to have somebody being there to support and help facilitate and knock down barriers for those that, that are creating and making. So um, that's my current role. So like I said, I, I always, um, we've done different interviews and, and different, um, you know, when we're hiring, uh, sometimes people say, well, what exactly does the managing director do? I'm like, I make everyone's dreams come true. Like if somebody wants to, you know, do a digital graffiti piece, like we'll figure out how to make it happen. If somebody wants to work with a, uh, you know, uh, an organization working with young women, like we'll make it happen. You know, I make it happen. I always go with the we, but like mm -hmm. I'll make it happen and work with the leadership team. Um, so, so that's my, that's my role. So I'm making dreams come true at Thought Matter. Brilliant. And you enjoying it so far? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely love it. We have a, a kick-ass team. I have an amazing uh, partner and our creative director, Ben Greengrass, uh, who um, is actually from the UK. So I'm uh, I'm used to, I was listening to some of your podcasts and I'm used to some of the phrases and some of the, the, the things where we're like, Ben, what did you do? So our creative director's name is Ben. Um, and I'll be like, Ben, what did you just say? And what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, he's helped me translate some of the, he's from like the Northern, he's going to be mad at me. I was going to say Leeds, but I don't think that's quite right, but somewhere around Leeds, Yorkshire. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I'm um, from Yorkshire. 
Oh, okay. Yeah. So he's from uh, uh, up there, right? It's like north. Um, up north. Yep. Up north. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so I have a great partner in in Ben as uh, as our creative director, and it's uh, like I said, been incredible to build a team uh, that that we have. And um, yeah, like, as I said, it's it's lear learning new things. I never thought I, I would learn. The other day, I was digging into rate cards, and I was like, okay, can we start from the top? <laughs> <laughs> what can we start from what exactly what this means we're not talking about individual you know like so it was uh something that it, it's important though it's important to understand the, the business side of it and to understand how to grow a viable uh grow continue to grow a viable business so um but yeah having a lot of fun and uh, you know as we were joking before i definitely um always or I've seen what the positives are in this uh, giant uh, work from home experiment. So mm. um, I feel like, like I said, incredibly lucky to to be able to do the work I'm doing uh, and have the resources I have to be able to to work from anywhere and have a conversation with you and across the you know across the pond. It's one of the biggest loves I have in in my career. You know, is the, is the autonomy and the the ability to be working wherever I am. I spent time in New Zealand and I remember doing doing a commission for a, a magazine illustration commission and I was sat on the top bunk of a hostel bed and I could see Mount Doom from Lord of the Rings on the horizon and thinking oh wow ridiculous. like you know the, the fact I'm able to do this and make a living <laughs> yeah yeah crazy absolutely stuff. well let's talk about your background I love to to go right back and and you know what's what paint us a picture of childhood of family of of, of, any, of any kind of you know very early indications I know hindsight is essential here but early yes. indications of your creativity and, and the fact, you know, that, that, that this may play a big part in your personality. Yeah, no, absolutely. I actually was, uh, I was thinking about, I was, I have actually more recently uh, been thinking about the role that our origin stories play and like who we are and who we become and, and what does it mean? Um, I was also thinking about the, your, the new title of this podcast, right? Um, the creative condition. And I was thinking about like my own creative condition, like what does that mean and like what and how did I, get here. Um, and I definitely, and I've now talked about this um, more with like friends and even my, my colleagues, um, that I know I'm tremendously lucky. I was adopted when I was about two, I was 24 months um, to a, a single mom in upstate New York. Uh, I was born in El Salvador, which was going through a, a civil war at the time in the early 80s. Um, and my mom um, was a single woman in her late 30s who didn't want to get, wasn't getting married, but knew she wanted children. She was a school teacher. And so she's like, I knew I wanted a family. Um, so nothing was going to stop her. And she spent many years actually figuring out how she as a single woman in the 80s could adopt a child. Um, and, uh, you know, luck, luck, I feel like is the, the, uh, the, the word for this, my whole story is, um, happened and she was able to adopt me I, I, I came over um, and one of the things that was very um, integral to to that was uh, we had an extra neighbor so again my mom's a single woman she was a working mother um, I was a very loud precocious child that needed to be entertained at all times I think I asked her like probably every other day like are we gonna am I gonna have a sibling can I go see friends can I go like I just needed people um, and so my poor mother was probably like you know at her at her wits end and we had a neighbor her name was Florence and she was retired and, and she just you know she her children were were off um and she was a just genuine creative person and when i think back and you said with hindsight um i feel like she should have been in the creative 
field in some capacity because she was always drawing and always making and crafting and creating and just her house was always just a, a whirlwind of, of creativity. And so I would go over there every single day. I feel like when I was little, um, I would, you know, she was more like a babysitter. But then as I got a little bit older into elementary school, I, she was my big playmate. Like I would be there in the morning. Sometimes I'd go in the morning before school because I wanted to like finish a piece of artwork or definitely after school. Um, she, I went to a Catholic school. So I had like my little uniform and I'd go to her house and I had like all my like sweatpants and sweatshirts like ready to go because I'd change out. And then we would just create until my mom had to come and like drag me out to, to have dinner. Sometimes I'd beg to just have dinner at her house. Um, and this woman, Florence, was such a such an amazing, uh, caring, nurturing woman who just continued to let me do whatever I wanted. I'd force her to read me books. I'd force her to like just, um, you know, make giant. I loved copying. Like we would look at um, Mickey Mouse, Minnie Mouse, all the different characters, and we would copy. And she would she was so good at just copying. Um, exactly what that would look like as an il illustration. Um, and we would just sit and do that. We'd also play cards. I feel like we had, I, I learned how to gamble. We had pennies. Um, and that definitely was, it was a huge piece of my growing up, probably until my, um, until about 11 or 12, probably like preteen. Um, and then we moved, I was devastated, but we moved. Uh, and I went into um, a, like a public school. And that's where uh, my mom kept saying, well, you should take more art classes. Like that was something you loved in your little and just keep doing that and my mom really fostered that and definitely a hundred percent supported the the arts in that way and I know when I was in high school uh, that's where you know it becomes I feel like the parents get sorted into uh, different categories you have the parents that are well you're gonna go be a lawyer an engineer a doctor you want to go to the you know and in, in here in the states it's the Ivy League schools you want to get into an Ivy League school if not if not that a top tier school then you have the parents that are like, well, just please go to college, just do something. Um, and then you have the the parents that, you know, really do want to understand what, what makes their their children um, tick. And that was my mom. And like I said, I was just lucky to have a, a woman who said, okay, I get that you want to do the arts, you, you know, through clenched teeth, I think you should go to art school and I think you should take out loans to do it. That's um, incredibly valuable, isn't it? That's, that's a blessing. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it really, really true. It is because I, I see what it means to support creativity and how hard that can be sometimes, because if you yourself are not a creative, um, like can can make, you know, everyone always says, oh, I can't draw. I can make a stick figure. It, it's then hard to be able to translate like how, somebody who really is, even if they just make stick figures, um, but they want to do that for a living, like how you support that and you give them the tools and the strategies that they need in order to understand how they can uh, translate that into a, a creative life and, um, you know, so like I said, yes, absolutely tremendously lucky. Give my mother all the kudos as well as all the art. I mean, I had great, great art teachers. Um, I recently, uh, I was on a, a podcast called <laughs> Clever, funny enough, who um, we were talking about my high school experience. And I said, uh, my in my high school, we had uh, a graduate a year older than me that probably is one of the most successful creatives in, in the world. Uh, so I'm, I'm lucky to have seen that. And she was like, who is it? Who is it? And I said, it was Brian Chesky of Airbnb. And then funny enough, Brian Chesky was on her podcast and he, him and I had a really great conversation a couple of months ago to talk about the fact that we went to the same art school or same um, high school. 
uh, we put our portfolios uh, together. Well, he put his portfolio together and I watched him. Um, and again, it's, it's been amazing to kind of think through. And him and I were talking about how lucky we were that we've been able to uh, be, we were supported in that way in high school. We were supported by our art teachers and we were supported by our parents and supported by the people around us um, to pursue an art degree. Uh, and like I said, I think if any parent now questions whether or not their child should get an art degree and if they can be success a successful entrepreneur, they should uh, look up Brian Tresky. So it's, uh, again, I've been lucky to be able to see that, to use that as like an interesting anecdote and something that uh, fuels me and continues to drive me and and how um, I said, it can, can create a, or, or foster a creative life. That's, um, that's brilliant. I mean, you know, to, to there, there's a lot of chance at play there in that story you know there's a lot of uh, and I and it you know it's a constant theme you can't if you're going to be it applies to anything in life but I think in the creative industry luck and chance plays a huge part and I think the sooner you accept that it's there and embrace it and look for the opportunities and look for the chance to present itself the sooner that the luck happens if you know what I mean it's not it's yeah. not so it's not so much the cliche of oh, make your own luck because what does that even mean it's it's being open to that chance presenting itself in your path, isn't it? Um, but it also takes it also takes work ethic to meet that halfway. So while you said there, you know, yes, of course, I'm hugely blessed with your neighbour, with your mum, with uh, with mentors, whether it's Brian Chesky and stories like that, showing you that it was possible. There has to be an aspect of your personality that of drive here and of hard work. At what point did that kind of fuse get lit for you? Because Speaking for myself, it took me until about 20, which sounds crazy because that was at the very end of my degree. But it was only at that point that I stumbled upon graphic activists and I wrote my dissertation on that. And all of a sudden I found something that just clicked with a lot of aspects of my personality. Was there a moment like that for you? Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting you bring that up because a lot of times, um, so I, I get to onboard all our new employees or when we have freelancers. And so I have what I call the Jesse principles and like what makes what makes somebody successful at Thought Matter. But one of the things that I always start with is that I say that the for me personally, the harder I've worked, the luckier I've gotten. Uh, because I think it is true, right? Like the harder you like stick with something, I think that resiliency, uh, that drive, that passion you're talking about, um, I think not only fuels you personally, but also I think invigorates and excites people around you to then want to help you. And then want to be able to say, okay, how can I, you know, support this if, you know, for, um, I'm hearing you in 20, like supporting this, you know, a young person who's excited about something. So I do think that for me, um, you know, I like to, well, I should say my husband likes to, to use the word relentless. Like I tend to be relentless. Like there are things where like, if I get an idea about something, it's really hard for me to let it go. Um, which, you know, sometimes it's like, okay, Jesse, like maybe you should just back off. But, uh, and I think that was definitely something, you know, when I was younger, um, and um, as I as I said before, thinking about origin stories, I've definitely put a lot of thought into like um, nature versus nurture. So there's definitely part of people you're born, right? You're born being stubborn. You're born with all these different um, you know attributes. So that I think obviously came with uh, who I am. But I do think nurture, like looking at my mom, who was a single parent, a working single parent, and um, she's very she's very tiny and very shy when you first meet her. Um, but she is also uh, very stubborn and when she puts her mind to something like that's what it's going to be and for her to uh have done you know raised me and have done the work she did she was um 
you know, the hardest working person that I've ever met. And her um, father, my grandfather and my family um, from uh, Staten Island here in New York, um, they were definitely very much about you need to have good work ethic. You need to be thinking about um, how you treat the people around you, how you support, um, you know, that that type of uh, working environment so that you can pursue the goals that you want. Uh, and that definitely, like I said, has been the nurture side of it. And I'm um, uh, I'm always thinking about that. I'm always thinking about how can I make sure that I'm putting as much energy and effort into something that the people that I want the people around me. And so. I would say, you know, when I went to Pratt, which was my undergraduate degree, so I, went, I did go to art school and I do have student loans. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, thank you, mom, for the advice. No. Um, but uh, it was, I would say, there that I realized if you put so much energy into something, you get an output that you're really proud of. Because that was, um, and I don't advocate for this, but my freshman year with like, foundation courses, there were times where I would stay up all night because you're like, I just want this to be exactly, you know, whatever, the, if it's a sculpture, if it's a painting, if it was whatever we were doing, um, I wanted it to be great. I wanted it to feel like I had uh, gotten the output that matched the effort and yeah you'd stay up all night and again that was kind of the the art school mentality is like and everybody would be doing it right you'd be like okay who's up who has the light on in their dorm room like can i like work in their room um but like i said i think for me and that was like what early early teens into my 20s i saw what it means for that that um the input and the output right like when they can actually equal each other uh which was incredible and i had a chance when i was at pratt um to be a part of a group that started a national sorority which was also something that was very unique to uh the the environment because the sororities weren't a thing in, in art school but we wanted a group of women to come together and actually support each other and uh if we were all working as hard as we possibly could how could we collectively use our um, energy is to go even further. And I would say that, you know, again, seeing the the progress that uh, we made by actually getting a, a chapter chartered uh, showed me that you actually can, um, you know, make make that impact. And like I said, and that was, I think when you're younger, sometimes you're like, I put so much work in and I still got like a C or I put so much work in and like no one really noticed or whatever it may be. But as I got older and as I worked, especially with um, uh, the, the group of women, uh, we saw what it what it meant to uh, get that output. And I feel like I've been relentless ever since. <laughs> Ask anyone who has met me in my 20s and now in my 30s, like I definitely operate at a, you know, I would say I operate with a lot of energy. Mm. It's an admirable trait. And it's, you know, I think sometimes you absolutely need it because there's a lot of hurdles and a lot of challenges in this game. And, uh, you know, it can, it can quite easily weigh you down if you don't have that, that kind of zest. <laughs> yes. And I think the just the genuine I always ask myself, like, what have I not learned? Like, what else can I like look for? What else can I do? Is there some other angle or way in which I can uh, pursue, um, you know, what I consider a creative creative life? Like, I think it was um, I'd been graduated Pratt five or six years uh, at the time. And I was a designer. I was in um, just with a bunch of young designers and we'd be, you know, we were in a studio and we'd be there until like nine, 10 o'clock, making all the work. And I remember thinking like, there's something else I wanna be doing. Like, I don't know what it is, but I know this, like there's something more. So I started looking at grad school, which I feel like anybody who you're right out of, you know, five, six years out of undergrad, you're like, I wanna do something. Oh, I should just go to school again. 
Yeah. I miss, you know, you kind of miss like the camaraderie of classes and taking, you know, like uh, being like, I'm going to take a printmaking class or I'm going to take a photo class. Uh, so I did, I started looking into grad schools and that was kind of a, a meandering journey of like, what exactly does that look like? Um, but again, it was that there's something else out there. Like what else can I, can I learn and absorb and do? And, and I did end up going to grad school. So uh, that was, so I was lucky, lucky to be able to have that chance too, which definitely changed you know, kind of gave me like a, if I was, if I was going kind of like to the right, it kind of gave me a little left-hand turn. Mm. Well, that said, did, what was their revision? Was there a vision of success that you had in your mind? Because I, I'm always interested in, in that idea of success. I think it can be very dangerous if it's not true to you as a person, you know, a lot too, I see countless people who, you know, go for the, the, the role, the job title, or maybe they go for the, the cool agency and they don't take care of their own motivations, their own true character. And I think it can really lead people astray and, and, and even lead to them feeling disenchanted with their, you know, with something they once loved. Did you have a did you have a kind of a romantic vision of what success might look like to you at this stage before you got a foothold in the industry? Yeah, I think um for me, I just always wanted to know that my work or the people around me, if I was part of a team, that our work was really making an impact, that yeah. our work was either changing the, the I say the course of a business. Uh, you know, we would get a brief at the time it was, and it would be like, the objective is to, to, you know, make more sales. Like we worked for a, um, um, one of the, one of my clients at the time was a uh, Bob Green, who was the trainer, trainer nutritionist for Oprah at the time. So this was like yeah. 2008, seven. Um, and, it was a really cool project because we actually got to understand like nutrition and what his his uh, it was a diet at the time, I guess, or like a, a, a I'm not gonna say a, a lifestyle because I feel like that's now, you know, the goops and the whatnots of the world. But in 2000, like I said, six and seven, it was about how to maintain health and understand nutrition. And, and it was a cool project to work on. And I always wanted to know, like, OK, you know, we'd create like a banner early, I guess, kind of early days of the web, but we'd make a banner ad or I got to actually create this cool decal for a bus because he went on tour um, and it had like Oprah's face on it and all these like different like food that was endorsed by him. So it was like I never got to wrap a bus. So that was pretty cool. But I feel like I never got to know what happened. Like, was that was the tour successful? Like, were there did people really buy into this, um, you know, way of nutrition? Is it something that really did transform and help people? And though, you know, it kind of got anecdotally, we got to, we, but I, we didn't really get to know because we were so in the grand scheme of probably the agencies they were working with, we were such a, um, you know, low man on the totem pole that it was just cranking the workout, right? And so I did start to question and ask myself, like, how how can I work in an environment or how can I think about creativity in a way that helps measure the impact it has on a business or a person or a thing or, you know, whatever the, that end, end goal is. And that's what really made me think about grad school. And I looked into MBA programs. I looked into the D school over at Stanford. I even looked into a school up in Canada just to see if there was a way for me to understand more about the, the, the business aspects of it. And this was also around the time when there was um, a rising uh, interest in design thinking and getting uh, design a seat at the the corporate boardroom table. Um, I think at the time uh, you had John Maida at uh, RISD. You had um, who else? There were just like these like big figure. IDEO was was in their sort of like heyday of talking about what does what is design's role. Um, and so I was really interested in that. And I think it was. Um, 
you know, this idea that creativity has that impact. And so when I found um, the grad, the grad program I ended up going to was at the School of Visual Arts. It was a master's in branding program and it was their first year. Uh, and so it was nothing was uh, guaranteed. It was like we were going to be the first class to try out this new this new graduate program that was kind of described as in between an MBA and an MFA. But or I'm sorry. Yeah. M MBA and an MFA, but neither one of those. <laughs> so it was just a, a branding program. Um, and it was really trying to pressure test the role of branding, that branding as a word is a noun and a verb. And so, like, how do you actually um, understand what you are what you are creating when you're talking about um, brand? Right. Uh, so I really love that idea. I love the idea that it was a brand new program. I love that you didn't know and we were all going to try to figure it out professors and everyone were going to figure it out together. And I think at the end of that program is when I realized that there is a role for people to uh, help shape the impact of design's role in business, in product, in um, just moving uh, businesses forward. And so that really, like I said, as I, as I said before, like before grad school, I was kind of going to the right. And then this was like a sharp left uh, because when I graduated, I ended up going down the corporate side. Uh, I had a, an amazing mentor in Christine Mao, who was at the time at Kimberly Clark, and she was working on all their femcare products. So you by Kotex had just released their really cool black box. So in the femcare category, it was like, you know, here's design, breaking through the sea of sameness, uh, helping to uh, destigmatize a category that no one wanted to talk about. Uh, um, she also worked on Huggies and Kleenex, which is like the most ubiquitous. Um, I shouldn't say ubiquitous. It's like the you know Kleenex is the brand of the brand, right? Like you, you somebody you see somebody use a tissue and you're like, oh, is that a clean? You know, give yeah. me that Kleenex. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't matter what it is. It could be a piece of you know. Uh, piece of paper and you're like, that's a Kleenex, it's near your nose. Uh, so that for me was such a, that was like the height of branding. You're like, oh my God, imagine being able to work on Kleenex. Like, what is that about? Um, so I got to, to work with Christine Mao, who is, you know, uh, was incredible and she um, was, my mentor in that way. And I got I had to move to Wisconsin, which is a whole nother story, but I got to, you know, go middle of the country, which I had never, never done. Um, and that was, that was fun. I was there for three years. Uh, but that definitely helped me um, really see the ins and outs that the idea that creativity can have impact on a business is so black and white when in fact it's all gray like it's you know if you are a design manager being plopped into a corporation and you're saying go like speak the good word about design yeah that sounds good but it is a lot harder um and it is a lot um more taxing on your just uh i feel like uh soul because you're like well i have to like first convince somebody that like design matter design matters then i have to convince somebody as to like will this particular design matter and then you have to like say okay i'm going to be relentless about telling you that this is going to change this one violator on all these packs of toilet paper is going to change the you know quarters earnings profits no that's not going to happen but I feel like the the way in which people think about um, design, especially at big corporations, thinking about the impact that every de every design decision has on the overall growth of the business is really important. And it is that long term thinking that I think a lot of uh, companies, especially legacy companies, especially CPG legacy companies, are missing out on. Uh, it's very short term thinking. It's very like in this quarter, how many cases am I going to sell? If it doesn't move, that purple, you know, little. It um, extra fluffy didn't work. So screw design. We're going to go back to, you know, so. So anyway, 
um, I think there is something uh, for for me to always be thinking about the impact of that design. And, what, and it sounds like that's a wonderful um, education for what you would go on to do and what we'll get we'll get into the work with Thought Matter. I mean, you know, I, I would say, is there even, you know, I, I can't think of a better way to to see tangible results and the way and the way it has to be implemented its design at each stage of such a, you know, because I know just from previous conversations, I know the importance that any design decision can have on a major brand like that. You know, one bad move can result in some serious lack of, you know, drop off in sales, which sends shockwaves through companies, you know? So I, yeah. I, I see why big budgets exist for the likes of marketing campaigns and, and a lot of heads on a project to, to try and get as close to a certainty that they'll get it right. Which, as we yep. know, with creativity, there is no certainty. So it's this dichotomy, <laughs> you know? Um, 100%. Yeah. I, I mean, was there a point? So so maybe maybe just I thought a good place would be just to tell us a little about Thought Matter now as an agency. I guess I think there's a, there's a real, there's a nice uh, thread forming here. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, uh, so I, uh, and so after Kimberly Clark, I came back to, I wanted to be back in New York. I was actually, Wisconsin was not for, for me. Um, in my family, I had just had a baby. Um, and I realized that being from New York, uh, I really wanted to be around family. I really wanted to raise a child in uh, an environment like New York and then in the city. Uh, so we moved back and I was trying to think like, well, do I want to stay on the, you know, the corporate side? There's a lot, obviously a lot of companies uh, here in New York, but I actually was like, you know, wait, I want to go back to agency side. Now that I've seen the corporate side, now that I see what it's like to sell in an idea to, um, you know, really understand that that impact, what would it be like to now go back to the agency side? Um, I knew I wouldn't go back to the agency side as a designer because I didn't have, a, I, I no longer really had a portfolio of design. I had a portfolio of thinking. Uh, so I got a, a job as a strategy director at a um, New York, New York office of a, a, a an agency that works in with CPG companies. So they were working with, well, they were with Kimberly Clark and Colgate and um, big uh, CPG, some uh, private label uh, food brands. Uh, so I got a, a kind of a, a taste of what that feels like. Like how do I how do I now work on the agency side to help um, you know bring bring these ideas to the, these companies? But I was still working on things like um, you know dish detergent, um, paper, toothpaste, um, which. Again, is interesting and fun because you're like for me, my mom would be like, I, I, you know, I saw it in the grocery store the other day. I saw the cottonelle. I'm just so excited. So like that was fun because you got to see what I did. But I realized that that also wasn't fueling me. And as you asked me before, I was I'm always constantly thinking about what is the impact of design, what is the impact of creativity, what is the role of creativity, what is the capacity of creativity. So um, I started questioning. Okay, well, is this really what I want to be doing? Like now that I see the impact, like is that the impact I want to be making? So I started looking around. I talked to a couple of my professors and they said, you should do freelance. So like, that sounds great. How do you do that? <laughs> um, so then you start looking into it. It's like health insurance and all these things. You're like, that just sounds complicated. But I decided to take the leap. Um, and I uh, wanted to take a six month contract because that was somebody gave me that advice. They said, take a six month contract because you at least have six months to see if you know you like it. So I had a chance to talk to uh, the creative director at the time at Thought Matter. Um, and uh, he was telling me that, you know, it was it was fairly new. Thought Matter was only a year old at the time. Um, and as I've kind of said throughout my story, I realized I love anything new. I love it. it's like, oh, you want to build something? I love it. Sign me up. So that's kind of. 
that's exactly what happened. And he was like, we can offer you six months. Uh, we want you to work on strategy. We're working. And again, it was like the he wanted to know about all my experience. Um, and because I just love being a part of something new, I didn't ask too many questions. So when I got there, I realized like they didn't, it was so, they were so new that they hadn't really even formed, Thought Matter hadn't even really formed what Thought Matter was. Uh, it's founder led. So the founder, uh, Tom Jaffe, had started it uh, as a, his late wife had a marketing and design agency. And so he took it on to keep, keep it going. He rebranded it. Um, but he didn't exactly have a, um, I would say a solidified vision. He knew he's a he's a creative at heart. He's an avid art collector. He's a journalist. Um, so he knew that he wanted to uh, use branding, marketing, design to to work with companies, but he hadn't really formulated exactly what that was. Um, so when I got there, I was asking him a lot of questions because I just again I'm rel I'm relentless in that way. So I was like, well, what do you like? What do you do? What was your career? How many careers have you had? And we would go to dinners, and he would just tell me just about himself. And I realized that something that is at the heart of who he is, is a philanthropist. Like he loves uh, supporting the arts. He loves supporting arts education. He loves supporting nonprofits. He loves supporting museums. He loves supporting ways in which uh, we um, showcase culture and how we all can absorb that. And so I was like, well, wait a second, why aren't you, why aren't we trying to go after that work? And he was like, well, no one ever said we could. Like, do they do branding? <laughs> I was like, yes, I'm pretty sure like the Met, the Metropolitan Museum of Art, thinks about branding. Um, and so we were talking about different nonprofits and and we over time, probably within that first year, realized that there was an opportunity for us to be working with organizations and brands and people that had purpose. And so we kept kicking around this idea of what what is purpose? What is what is um again that impact? And so um we got really excited and I, I told Tom, I was like, this is it, we're building a business. We're gonna build a business about all the, you know, this uh, work worth doing, things that we really want to be putting our energy into, things we really want to be, um, you know, uh, supporting, like a lot of these institutions, many times are forgotten, I think, in the branding and marketing conversation, right? Like everybody wants to talk about Nike, everyone wants to talk about um, these consumer brands that, you know, we all know, all the, you know, millennial brands, Caspers and the hinges of the world, all these brands, everybody can tell you a marketing story about, right? But can anyone talk talk to you about the, you know, the organization supporting women in your community that you're excited about? No, because a lot of times they're like, oh, I don't, we don't do branding, but yes, you do. Um, or the same thing with the arts, arts organizations, you know, um, there are so many organizations that are supporting young people and bringing arts into schools. Uh, how, how do they get funding? How do they get awareness? How do they get people to understand the work that they're doing? How do they get more schools to buy into it? Um, so those same, uh, tenants of marketing, if you, you know, you buy into a brand that sells better toilet paper than the other toilet paper are the same fundamental principles you want to be using for organizations that are supporting communities. So, um, so yeah, so after a year and a half, I guess, I came on full full time and uh, told Tom I was committed to building this agency all around all around work worth doing. And it's now been I've been with Tom for five years. Uh, so it's been five years. I've learned a lot, you know. And I and I came out guns blazing, relentless. Like, of course we're gonna build a business. You know, I was like, wah wah, what? How do you get clients? <laughs> How do I? You know, I remember sitting in uh, one of our first, or not first, but a pitch meeting, and. I was talking about like Cottonelle and this, that, and the other thing. And I feel like halfway through my like monologue, the person was like, can we go back? Can you define 
what the difference between marketing and branding. And I was like, oh, yes, I can. I can do that. Um, and, you know, there's been so many conversations about we love all everything you guys are talking about, but we can't afford it. You know, we have to go to our board. Our board doesn't want us to spend money on mm. this thing, this this design thing. Um, so we've had to learn how, how do you how do you actually educate organizations that don't think they need design when, in fact, they do need awareness and they do need uh, fundraising. They need all the things that, you know, they know about, but they just don't understand the role of design. Mm. Um, so. So yeah, so it's been it's been a journey, but it's been a, a lot of fun, um, and it's been um, something that uh, again I'm I'm relentless about, and uh, we've definitely taken twists and turns, and and have done a lot of projects um, that not only do we believe in, but that we think is that is important right now for the industry to see an agency do, uh, which is something that I think you know. As we, what are we in? 2021. Oh wow. Oh boy. Uh, as we're in 2021, um, and I've said this so many times that I'm sure my staff like rolls their eyes, but um, I really do think it's our role to question what is a design agency in 2021. Like, what is our role? What is our responsibility? What is the uh, reason for being? Like, how do we push our industry, if we call our industry graphic design um, or design or branding, how do we push our industry to be thinking about larger problems and larger issues that we continue to contribute to, but we uh, kind of bury our head in the sand and say, well, no, that's not really what we do. You know, designers love to say design is so important. Every design decision is going to like change the course of, um, you know, this product. And then as soon as it's like, well, that ends up in the landfill and it's contributing to plastics and pollution. And, you know, we are looking at climate change. The, the designers are so quick to be like, oh, well, I just did the label. I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't do the, you know, the bottle had nothing to do with me. I didn't, you know, but the label, that was me. You want to talk about the label? Like, so it's like, we want to be on both sides. Like design is so important. Design changes everything. But then when it comes to actually talking about the changes we need um, as a, as a war, as a world, as a society, we're very like, mm, nope. Mm -mm. So that's something that I, I continue to, to sort of push and question. And even uh, as we bring on all our designers and we think about our own personal design practices, how we can continue to question um, how to change and push uh, this industry. There's two, I think, brilliant lessons in that story. I think I think one is, is fantastic and it's every person who has any doubts about the direction they're going should find a person like you in the respect of your curiosity and your drive and have the same amount of conversations that you had with Tom, because that's, you know, the, the fact you, that you were able to look at him from the outside and to ask the right questions and to get to the bottom of his character and point that in the right direction. Wow. I mean, you know, we all, you know, we all kind of, some of us never arrive at that place where we understand what we, where we need to be going and what, what our own business needs to be. So I think that's a, a wonderful lesson there. I think people should go out and find the person who will honestly and openly, you know, ask them the right questions. That's a great lesson. But also, you know, th that we need to take the, the issue to our clients to go and ask questions and to challenge respectfully, you know, to kind of, as you, you said there about people who don't think they need design or maybe don't think they need whatever it might be that will help them to progress and achieve their own goals. I think it takes good people skills to be able to, to, to do that 
to to ask the, them the questions. But I think there's always a way. Is there? Would you agree? There's always a way to 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 help them to see maybe something they're not seeing in terms of visual communication. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think um, you know we've learned, uh, and I have an amazing client services director who's always helping me. Like, think how do we how do we reframe a project we've done? How do we reframe? Um, you know, a um, project to help a client see how see themselves in it. Um, because I think there's been so many times we've been in front of a client with a project and we're so excited and it's in a new category, like we haven't necessarily worked in. So um, for example, like let's say it's a, um, a uh, cultural institution, it's not a design, like we've worked with design museums, so it's a cultural institution that's not doing design, you know, 100% just, um, art like they're not showing art they're showing artifacts or showing these things and so we'll talk to them um and they'll say well i mean but have you ever worked with this society and like this institution and we're like no we haven't like but i mean do you really think you can and it's just and there's been times where we've lost um projects because they're like you haven't done exactly the project we want in this category in this thing and i think at first i was like oh man like we just have to get we have to get that first project. Let's do something small. But now, now I feel like I'm in a completely different camp in that it's really a, from a, a designer's perspective, like our role to help a client understand how our skills can transfer and translate and help them grow whatever their business is. Um, that it really is, as you said, about the, the the people skills. And I think it is about continuing to ask the clients questions and continue to ask them, okay, like w when you say you want to, um, you know, uh, increase fundraising, like for what, for what means, why do you want to do that? What is it for? What do you plan to, um, use, use that for what, what have you done in the past? What hasn't worked? What is this? What is that? And I think that as you continue to ask questions and understand more about their business and understand more about what, um, it has been successful in the past and what hasn't worked that you then as the designer or the agency can say, okay, like we want to build on this success, or, you know, you haven't actually tried X, Y, Z, or maybe you're not aware of, you know, ABC, or maybe it's that you have so many messages, all these messages are great. And we've talked to, you know, five people so far in like the process of an RFP, and like all five are talking about something different. Like we actually think our opportunity would be to help you actually have one message, one key message, and then be able to translate to all your different audiences. And I think it's those moments where clients say, right, like, I do need that help. They're not trying to give me the answer. They're trying to help me uncover the things that maybe I haven't been aware of, or something that I haven't really understood how um, you know one change could really unlock something and so that has definitely been over these five years of, of working with different types of clients again I brand managers at your large CP, they all went through the MBA program so they understand branding so it's a very different way in which you talk to them um, but with nonprofits or folks who are just like this is kind of new like they're just so focused on their work um, that it is just about asking those questions and figuring out how to help them and for them to see that they need that help and that we are a, a true partner, uh, that we're not swooping in. Because that's the other thing that I think is a kind of a misnomer when it comes especially to nonprofits is that a lot of times designers have such good intentions. They're like, oh my gosh, I, I'm working on this, you know, plastic inducing whatever, I really want to go help somebody, right? Like I'm going to go find this organization, um, something maybe is, is close to them. They go to the organization and say, I'm here for you. I'm going to give you a logo. I'm going to give you a website. I'm going to give you, I don't know, whatever the menu of things are. Um, and, I'll, and I'll do it for free. 
because you know it just makes you feel good, right? You're like, I have time, I can just do it. Um, and then they give it to the, this, the organization. They're like, here's your logo, here's your website, here's your color palette. Go ahead, you know. And then the organization is like, oh, I got it for free. I'm just going to use it. And what we've realized, what I would, uh, I've realized is that sometimes when that happens, is the designers have actually done a disservice to that organization because they haven't actually helped the organization understand why they needed a new logo, why they needed, um, you know, a, a maybe a new website, why it is and how they should be using a visual system, how it helps build consistency and how it helps build cohesion. And said they kind of just dropped it in their lap and they they then ran away because now they feel good, right? Now they can go tell their friends, like, I did this thing for, I did no money, but it was so great. I spent X amount of hours. And then this nonprofit is, you know, they tell their board, we got a new logo and the board is like, well, okay, great. But is that going to help, you know, um, raise us money? And then when it doesn't help, when the board sees it doesn't help them raise money, the board is then like, well, we never are changing the logo ever again. You yeah. know, like it becomes such a, um, a cycle that I do think that designers who do want to like want to feel like they're giving back or helping an organization or again, really thinking about that impact that they really need to understand their role in that organization's, you know, ecosystem and journey and really support through from beginning to end. Um, or it, like I said, it just is, it actually does more harm. Um, and then, you know, like I said, we've had the opportunity to help some organizations um, work through, they got brand guidelines and they're like, so we have this brand guideline book, what is it? And we're like, okay, <laughs> yeah, let's, let's talk through how that can, how that can help you and, and understand your goals. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's, it's value, isn't it? It's helping them first to look inwards and to see mm -hmm. the value within their own operation and then to recognise that something that is so valuable is not where it could be and that's where your skills are then valued to come in. Whereas I remember it was the art director of The Guardian, the big newspaper here in the UK, who um, he gave me one of my earlier breaks. And he's, you know, he's, I interviewed him and he said to me, um, you wouldn't believe the amount of offers of free work we get on a daily basis just because of the prestige of having your artwork in the Guardian, but we absolutely don't take it and won't entertain it because it it you lose the uh, the balance of the relationship, the, the professional relationship. You know, I can't come back to that person and say, I want you to make X, Y, and Z changes when there's no money, you know, there's no trade for, you know, that's, I think there's almost more respect when, they are paying, you know, it could be a reduced rate, it could be a, a long-term deal, that, that's that's nuanced. But I just think um, it's it's first and foremost, it's about highlighting the value of something and then and then respectfully showing where it's not perhaps optimised, you know? Absolutely, yeah. And, and there's a respect that comes from that, isn't there? I've, I've never, I've very rarely, if ever, come across a client where I've gone back to them and I've challenged something in the brief um, that I felt could be better they love that because that I'm taking that, you know, I'm not just gobbling up the brief they've come, they've given me to get out of it quickly. I, I actually care about getting this right. And I think people really do respect that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that um, there's definitely also something with, I think, a value exchange and also the power dynamics. Because like I said, if you're coming in and say, I'm doing this for free, like you're, you're just, you're automatically saying like all this power I'm giving, I'm just like throwing it at you versus that, like I said, that exchange and that understanding of the role um, of your work and also how you are working with with organizations and, and just people. And um, again, being able to then measure that impact. Cause I think that that's the thing that um, for me, I always go back to what's the impact of something? What was yeah. the, um, what did it, what did it do? What did it change? Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's a, a huge part 
that we overlook, isn't it? It's, it is, it's goes back to the earlier part of your story when you said, okay, I've, so I've done this cool thing, but I, I don't know where it goes, don't know what it does. It's like, it's to actually measure the action of something and to see the impact it's having so that you can improve on it next time or use it as a case study. It's huge, really. Yeah, and to, yeah, and to be able to articulate it, I think what's, what I always love, um, you know, when you talk to designers right out of school and they have their portfolios and depending on the school they went to, you can tell if it's a school that really is thinking about portfolios, they like have these great projects and they have strategy and they have concepts and they're, they're able, and they talk about it and you get so, like I get excited when, when a designer's excited about their work, I get excited about it. But I always then like to ask them like, well, what was the, what was the impact? Like, what was the impact? And I know again, when it's student work, it's not that there's a, a measurable, like 50% of this, 20%, you know, like there's no, but there has to have been an impact on you as a designer working on that work. Like, did it change the way you now look at, you know, whatever the industry is? Did it change the way you think about, um, you know, a, a larger concept? Is there something like, what did, what was the impact to you as a designer having worked on that project? And I feel like when designers can't talk about that, you're like, well, then why did you do it? And then when they can't tell you why they did it, you're like, or they're like, well, that was our, that was the pro, that was the assignment. And you're like, okay, well, you know. So I always encourage young young designers, and especially anyone coming out of school, to know why they're doing something. Why did you put something in your? Why did you do it in the first place? Then why are you putting it in your portfolio? How did it change you as a designer? How has it changed your outlook? How is it again? Like if you think about impact in that way, like how is it now fueling what you want to be doing? Um, and if a designer can't answer that, like I said, then it's you, you kind of miss the point, right? You miss the point of like why uh, you're why you're designing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, there's, 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 there's always about questions, isn't it? Questions and answers. But so let's let's talk about some of the awesome work that you guys are doing at Thought Matter because I just you know I've seen a lot. I've been reading up on articles of. of um, I mean, the, the women's rights posters blew me away. And, and, and look, tell us a story about that because it was quite a responsive project. Yep. So that was in 2017. Um, we it was right after the election. Well, the election in 2016 is right after the election. Uh, Tom, our founder, was was uh, not having us as all our we're all millennials, right? Like we're like, oh my god, well, how did this happen to us? We're living in New York. We're living in our bubble. We're like, you know, all the things. And he was like, listen. Back in the late 60s, people had posters and they were marching and they were thinking and they were pushing and they were like questioning systems and they were breaking things down. And a lot of actually what he said when I think back to 2016, a lot of what he said, um, we as just creative thinkers and writers and makers, um, a lot of what he said we could do has actually happened, which I think is incredible. Again, thinking about taking down, thinking about systems and thinking about systems that aren't working for people, that aren't working for individuals and how we as people can actually be a part of movements and be a part of things that uh, help change the collective consciousness of like thinking about what um, and how uh, we don't have to just stand by. And so our first step, <laughs> So I'm like, uh, but our first step, we had said, well, let, let's do posters, right? So we were like, this is great. But then because we, you know, are trying to grow this viable company, I was like, well, we can't just like print the posters. <laughs> like we could make a bun, but like, what, how are we going to distribute it? How are we going to pay for it? And so we had, um, I think somebody on the staff said, well, what about crowdfunding? Um, and I actually went to school with at Pratt, um, 
a individual who was uh, doing a course at Pratt. He was then teaching a crowdfunding course at Pratt, which is amazing. So I like, you know, quickly DM'd him or somehow got in contact with him and said, can you come and talk to us? Because we want to do this. And if you're teaching it as a course, like you must have things to teach us. So he came in and he was telling us a little bit about um, crowdfunding. And at the time it was Kickstarter. And he was telling us how, you know, how do you create a campaign? And so we threw ourselves into it, kind of what you were saying before. Like we didn't have no clue what we were doing. We were like, let's just like try it out. Um, and we did a successful Kickstarter. It was in the, I would say it was December into January. And at the time, the Women's March wasn't what we now know as the Women's March. It was, you know, people started hearing about that there were going to be a, a, a march in Washington and maybe in other cities. Um, but it was still kind of like grassroots. It was all happening on Facebook. Our client services director was on uh, all the Facebook chat groups, finding like sending them the Kickstarter saying we'll give you posters uh, because we knew that people wanted to go and yes some people can um, make posters which is great and I think that you want to foster as much as that as possible but there's so many other people who again they're like I can't draw I can only draw a stick figure but they want to be able to hold something they want to have a message they want to have um, you know be a be a part of it so we felt that these posters could help with that right the folks that weren't gonna go home and make their their own and so we ended up raising uh, I think it was ten thousand dollars to be able to post um, to print posters and send them out and as part of our kickstarter we actually got to send uh back, made posters back in front with the little stick we found out you couldn't have a stick so it was like this whole we learned a lot we learned a lot about protests and, <laughs> and the different rules and regulations uh but it was great and it kind of like for it, it it showed us again to have this idea to we worked over the holidays like we didn't get a break we were like we're, we're wrapping and cutting and making and whatever um and it showed us that if we put the work in that we will see the the output of our of our work so like we we all a lot of us went to the new york po uh, march a lot of us went to dc some i think actually had a, a, somebody who was on the west coast and they we got to see our posters people people we didn't meet right because as you know when you do something kind of grassroots like your your mom your cousin you're like good friend they're all holding and you're like this feels so good but when you see somebody who you like don't know like they're a genuine stranger and you're like you're holding my poster or you're holding you know the thing we made it's 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 incredible mm -hmm. and so we got to see our posters and across the, the the marches and now there's a lot of books about the 2017 marches with all the different um crowds and people and our posters are in it you know it's really it's a really amazing uh, new feeling and for especially the designers who did each each individual poster um, those posters now are also in permanent collections um, at a couple of museums. And so it just kind of took off in that way because it became so a uh, part of the moment. Uh, and then we ended up in 2000 or yeah, 2018, we did posters for March for Our Lives. Um, so when uh, the school shootings happened down in Florida, we, you know, there was so much momentum. Young people were saying, wait a second, what about our rights? What does this mean? And so we did a collection of posters as part of uh, that march. Um, and we, uh, I think for that, we ended up um, doing a GoFundMe. And that was more for, for shipping. We wanted to be able to ship it out to uh, communities that were having the schools. Uh, and we took on the, the printing. Um, and then in 2018, we wanted to do the Women's March again, but at the time, the Women's March were starting to have some questions about representation and, and what was the role of the organizers of the Women's March. Uh, but we had a high school intern at the time who was like, yeah, you guys are like, I, forgot, she, I feel like she was like, you old people are all talking about these things, but like us young people, we just 
want to go march and we want to be able to feel like we're participating in uh, a larger dialogue. And so then that kind of sparked something for us. And we said, well, let, let's actually make posters for young women. Like what are what are the messages and the things that young women want to make sure uh, that we all know they're thinking about their body, their rights there. And so we created a series and we uh, found, I think we ended up finding 12 organizations throughout the United States um, that were supporting young women and we shipped the posters to them to to then hand out to uh, the, the girls. Um, and that was again, another really um, wonderful way for us to see posters in the hands of somebody who we knew uh, had a specific message they wanted wanted to get out there. Um, and I don't, I think for that one, uh, we ended up uh, getting a sponsor. Um, so a paper company helped us. Uh, so again, you kind of see like if you put the message out there and you put out like, we want this to happen. Other people see the the, the motivation and the work. And so I said, we ended up with the, the paper company that helped us with that one. Um, so those have been the, the activism, the, the posters. And there have been times where other things have happened. And as a studio, we ask like, should we do posters for this? Um, and we've actually said to ourselves, like this might not be the time, like a poster is not the thing that, we is going to uh you know drive uh, us or that change um i think over this past summer uh with the the black lives matter movement we were like do we want to put we're like post this is not the time for us to make a poster i think we we all actually said let's get out behind our computer and actually go and be a part of the movement and hear it and feel it and see what um is is happening and then have that fuel our work so there are you know over this past what four years 2016 to yeah four four five years um you know we've we've questioned the role of posters we've questioned the role of protests we've questioned the the role like of, of individuals and people being a part of the movements um and we've learned a lot and it's been um it's been a lot of fun and i don't know what what's next you know people always ask like are you going to do an next poster project and again for us it's about asking um what the impact if we did another poster project for what for what to what means and then what would the impact of that be um and what is the what can we uh contribute in, in that way so um so that's our poster project and we've uh done other off of that we've also uh questioned our own civic engagement like what is our role again as designers as people um in understanding everything that's happening and for the past four years, um, it's been whiplash here in the United States with the the Trump administration, uh, and something that we recognized early on is that we wanted to be a part of po politics in some way, um, and so we did right after the 2017 Women's March posters, we uh, did a constant what we call the Constitution Project for the People Project, which was we redesigned the United States Constitution. Uh, which has been an amazing project and is still going on. We're in we're we're in a, a second phase of it where we're doing videos. Uh, but that was again another uh, project where we asked ourselves as designers, what can we do to help move a conversation forward? And so the United States Constitution is the founding document, and we knew that we couldn't change the text. Like we're not going to get into a, a, a partisan conversation. I mean, we could, but we shouldn't get into a big partisan conversation about the amendments and the, the rulings and this and the other thing. But we realized that a lot of people um, ha don't even have the Constitution in their homes. Like, forget reading it. I mean, I know it's a very dry, dry text, but like they didn't even have it. And when we or we actually ordered them offline because we were like, what does it look like? Is it old? Like what? It and we ordered like five or six different copies off of Amazon, which 
now I'd be like, small bookshops, stop, I should have done Anyway, we didn't order from a small bookshop. We ordered from Amazon. We had all these constitutions. They were all ugly. Like, they were just, they looked like, no, like, small text. Like, no one wants to read that. So we said, well, like, let's actually take the text, don't alter it, um, find open source imagery from, uh, you know, Library of Congress and design it in a way that actually encourages and engages people to want to open it, make it more accessible. Uh, and so uh, we did that. We did a Kickstarter and we printed um, a few thousand copies of the, that constitution and we donated it to schools uh, because what we also realized is that, yes, you could probably talk to like your 45 year old uncle who has a very particular ideology and, you know, bang your head against a wall. Or, you know, we could be talking to young people who are in schools and asking questions like how, um, uh, how many years are they actually taking U.S. government? How many um, years are they uh, getting uh, access to an understanding of our uh, how our government works? Um, and the answer is actually not a lot. So uh, we worked with a couple of nonprofits to, again, get the, that constitution out to schools, um, engage in a, uh, we did a poster, well, because we were obsessed with posters at the time, we did a poster project uh, where we asked prominent designers to uh, design a poster for each of the first 10 Americans Amendments, so in the Bill of Rights, um, so we did this poster pro this poster show, which was incredible, um, and we had students come through because again, it's like okay, yes, you know the First Amendment, you know freedom of speech, uh, but do you know Amendment Ten? Um, and you know probably not. What does it even mean? Uh, and we had Adele Rodriguez, who's an amazing illustrator here in in the states, and he was doing a lot of political work. He did a poster for Amendment Ten, uh, and it was cool. It was like these cool, two cool like arms, and so a lot of people then wanted to know, well, why did he do that? And like, what was his thinking? And what does that mean? And so then, because you're asking all those questions about why the designer made the choices they did, you're actually learning about the, the that amendment and that text. So um, that was a, a really cool project coming off of that, and uh, it really for us made us, like I said, think about our role in civic engagement, encouraging uh, dialogue around our civic participation and uh, accessibility to everything that's happening. Um, and like I said, that was early on in the, the Trump administration. And then fast forward now, I feel like we're, we're, we've taken a slightly different uh, turn. And now it's just about how do we all understand our collective, our individual role as a collective to make change um, and to uh, understand what our, our, our rights are. Um, so we're doing now a, a video series for uh, for the people, which is about the interpretation of the Constitution. Um, so we, you know, how do, how do people interpret it? How do we think about it? How do we make it more accessible? Like you don't have to be a lawyer, you don't have to be a judge, you don't have to be in this like top tier echelon to understand that you as a person have rights and that your elected officials uh, have a lot of impact on your um, your just who you are, your person. So yeah, I think that's absolutely. Uh, I mean, every one of those projects is, is tremendous. But yeah, when I read about the Constitution redesign, it's fantastic. You know, it's it's um, it's a really powerful project and very well done. Like everything you guys do. How big is Thought Matter? How many people are we talking at the agency? Yeah, so we have uh, 
15 full-time employees, 15, 16 full-time employees. Uh, and then we have, we love our, we love freelancers. We love interns. Um, and so we usually have about 20 people. So when I think of uh, my, my zoom window, ever we have a Monday morning meeting and a Friday morning meeting. I have about tw 20 little windows looking at me. Um, so, uh, yeah, like I think that's, a, that's about the size that we've always wanted to be. And, you know, Tom and I have talked about, um, agencies and size and growth and what and how you maintain, um, the work you want to do with client work. It's always been in like the 20, I think Tom has been like, I want 23 people. I want no more than 20, but like, there's no, he just kind of threw that out there. Yeah. But yeah, and the, it, we're at the size that, that makes sense where you have a, uh, we have a strategy team uh, with, you know, four or five people, three or four people uh, kind of flexes. We have a design team that's about five or six people. We have a client services team that's three people. We have an operations um, team and, and a lot of those are just support individuals that help, uh, you know, make make everything happen um, as well as, like I said, Tom and, and some some advisors that we have. So, so yeah, so about 20 people, which is, is, is like I, said, I feel like I get to absolutely know everybody, have all, you know, the conversation of one-on-ones and um, really understand what make people tick. Uh, and I think also for the team, they feel that they really can contribute to, um, like, what type of work do they want to be doing? So if a designer slacks me and says, oh, I'm really interested in, um, you know, I really want to be doing something in coffee. That's like, okay, well, you know, let's see what, what's out there and, and could we be doing some, some work? Um, or, you know, somebody has an idea that they want to work with, you know, a, a past school or something. So it'll, I think it allows everyone to feel that they can contribute, contribute in that way and contribute to the, the business. So, um, yeah, so about 20 people. That doesn't surprise me in terms of the, uh, you know, that, that everyone's got a voice and that, and that you take great care to understand, you know, it's everything we talked about with your story. It's that kind of, you know, digging deep enough to learn what makes a person tick and what activates someone. And therefore you can, you know, you can have very productive um, relationships. Yeah. That benefits everybody. Um, so let's just say hypothetically, for example, you know, something happens politically and you, you guys really want to make, you know, do some work around that issue. What kind of conversation goes on in respect of the, the balance of making good financially and acting on such a, an opportunity? You know, I, I, I would guess by the sounds of things that it's it's a kind of a rounded conversation like everything else that you do to, to work out. I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I think something that, um, you know, before the the, the, pan, the pandemic working work from home, uh, we always had a Monday morning meeting and a Friday morning meeting in our office. Uh, we have what we call our dining room table, which actually I think was Tom's old dining room table. So that's probably why we call it that. Um, and we would gather in the mornings and you know we'd go through the the what's go on mondays we go through like what's what's happening in the week um and that takes about 20 you know 15 20 minutes uh but then we would always talk about what we've all read collectively in the news or seen on TikTok or whatever it may be um and tom always has he's a journalist so he always has clippings and he's like highlighting things and circling things uh and then we have a like it's a kind of a round table conversation about like, you know, sometimes Tom will say something and we're like, we don't like that. Like, why would you bring that up? And he'll be like, what, you know, stop yelling at me. And then we'll like have another conversation or like, you know, we'll spark a, a new, a new thought. And we do the same thing on Fridays, except with bagels. Um, mm -hmm. And when we moved to work from home, it became so important for me to figure out how we could maintain that. Like, how can we actually maintain a uh, conversation with everybody? How could we actually still have Tom have clippings? How could we, you know, we can't, we couldn't replicate bagels, but um, so for the past year, 
we've had our, our Zoom meetings. And I think what's been great about that, and there's been different, you know, ups and downs because sometimes people are engaged. Sometimes people are like, you know, another Zoom meeting. Um, but for the most part, it has allowed us all to uh, talk about what we're thinking about, right? Like there's, um, you know, we the headlines typically are the first thing we talk about, like especially around um, the election that just happened this past year. Uh, we talked a lot about our, our thoughts and our feelings. And there's definitely a balance between like, we don't want people just to come and like throw up all their, their thoughts, right? But it's like, how and what what are you thinking about a headline? Or what are you thinking about something that's happening in the news that's really help making you think about your own design practice, that's helping you think about the work that we as, a, as an agency could be doing. Um, and so I think that that's helped with like kind of guardrails in that way. Uh, but it's also allowed us to try to, to just expand different, um, different thoughts we might have and how it could translate to work. Uh, you know, early in the pandemic, we talked a lot about emotions. Like some of us were, you know, we felt isolated. We were scared. We were, were depressed. We were, you know, we felt just, I have, um, two kids and a husband. So like my house was just pure chaos mm -hmm. all the time. Um, and we talked about that and then we realized like there is all designers are going through a million emotions so like what type of project could we do and we ended up doing a project called covid it, it turned into a project called covidity which is creativity in the time of covid and we created these really um cool digital manifestations of rooms that represent mental states uh, and so we kind of did that as our own little exercise and we had a, a really wonderful designer named jason who uh, explored how to create it. He's like all into AV and AR. I probably said that wrong or AR, whatever. Um, all these different uh, uses of technology to create these worlds. Uh, and then we said to ourselves, like, we want other people to see it, but we don't want it like more people don't want to be online. Right. Um, so we started looking into how we could bring it into the physical space. Like even though people were, we don't want anyone, we didn't want anyone gathering. We still don't want anyone gathering, but people still have to walk to their grocery store. They still have to walk to wherever they're going. They just have to walk for their mental health. Um, so we looked into actually projecting uh, these rooms onto uh, walls in the city, so doing this digital graffiti. And it turned into this really great project that I think, you know, what we wanted from that was anyone walking by to question, what am I looking at? What does this mean? How am I now thinking about my own, uh, you know, mental, mental health and mental state? And so for us, that was a, a project that was, um, came out of a conversation, came out of a discussion, and then came out of a continued discussion about uh, mental health and creativity and just being able to uh, put ideas and thoughts out into the world that just help people think um, and just kind of question what what's going on around them. So, um, yeah, I don't know, you know, you asked me originally, like, how do we get there? I feel like it really is us all having a conversation, all asking um, really good questions and being able to see where where it takes us. Uh, you know, we have uh, we talk a lot about curiosity. That's something that's like number number one to who we are. Uh, and we talk a lot about just being really purposeful and thoughtful thought matter uh, in what we do. Um, and so a lot of times, um, you know, for the leadership team, it's about listening to the team. It's listening to what are people saying. Um, we always have one in-between project going at a time. So depending on, you know, um, what that is. And then sometimes people will have an idea that then sparks, um, for me, a way to reach out to an organization, to reach out and say, okay, you know, the staff is really interested in uh, wanting to work with um you know marginalized voices or underrepresented uh, folks in the design industry like how can i 
how can I put that out into the world and see what what is uh, what is happening? Are there people doing work to support um, artists and designers? And and that actually came. We had a project we've been working with um, a entrepreneur who started a creative uh, community called the Boom List. So for black and brown voices, elevating uh, creatives, and it's not a job board, it really is just about highlighting uh, creatives. Um, and uh, we, you know, I got to talking with the, the founder and he was like, yeah, you know, I, I realize I need a new website. I need a way to, to really highlight and get people to understand the community and raise awareness. So we have uh, over the, yeah, I guess over, actually I was just talking to him, it's like over a year. Uh, we've been working there because it's a, it's a side hustle for him, um, but it's something that we've been uh, working and understanding what he needs in order to continue to grow his, his community and uh, grow awareness for the boom list. Um, and that came out of, again, people just talking about, uh, you know, how, how can I as a designer help other designers? How can I understand um, the role of, um, you know, just awareness and representation? And how, how do I, if I'm living in a bubble and everyone feels like in the industry, we're living in a bubble, how do we open that bubble up? How do we actually um, gain more awareness of different types of work from different perspectives and different um folks that just might not cross my own LinkedIn. So, so that came, like I said, that kind of came out of that discussion. So some of it is a balance of uh, just listening and understanding and then seeing what's out there that we can uh, get, what kind of work we can go after, what kind of support we could offer to organizations uh, that fit into uh, the dialogue that we're having. Uh, and then other times, like I said, it turns into a, um, an in-between project, which is something that we're, is self-initiated that we're doing to, uh, you know, whether it be for our own sanity or if it's something that, again, is, is for a larger, uh, larger mission like um, civic, civic engagement. Um, yeah, so and that's something for me that will never, it's so core to who we are to be able to have those discussions, to be able to talk about the news and culture, uh, and always be thinking about how do we, how do we think about um, our own cultural relevance? And how do we think about the cultural context in which we're designing and operating in? Um, so that's always in like my like cultural context, cultural relevance, what are we doing? <laughs> Well, it really comes across. I mean, you know, the, the everything, the the energy coming out of the agency, the work you guys are creating, it really comes across. Um, and I was really quite surprised there with the numbers you gave me. I was expecting a lot more, which I think is a compliment, you know, I think. Um, and I, I was going to ask you, you've kind of answered it already in, in the whole conversation we've had. But for, for, you know, for the individuals who, you know, a lot of us are sensitive souls in this, you know, the, the people who are good at, at you know, who lead with creativity tend to, on the flip side, wear emotional sponges. And I think there's a, you know, there's a lot of stuff in the world to, to knock people's spirits at the moment. But for those people who are kind of questioning the impact that good design and good thinking and good creativity can have, is there anything you'd, you'd say to those people? I mean, your story kind of, for me, gives a wonderful example of how 15, 16, 20 people can can create work that reaches way beyond those numbers in terms of the impact. Um, but is there anything you give, you know, you give as a takeaway for those people who maybe are feeling a little down or a little undervalued or, or that they just can't make the impact on make change? Yeah, I think that's that's a that's a, a really great question. Something that I'm always, like I said, asking myself and asking for our for our team. Um, and I think that something that we that I always go back to is as like a person understanding what your values are like what are the things that make you tick what are the things that you really believe in and then saying to yourself how can I um, 
put that out into the world and manifest it in a way that I find either work that aligns with those values, or I find people that align with those values and start to think and talk and ask and question and just absorb everything you can uh, to see where, where that leads you. Like we had um, a really, uh, wonderful, engaged, amazing uh, cultural strategist that, you know, came to me at the top of the year and said, this, all this work from home is just not working for me. Um, and, you know, it was like asking her and, and she had to look deep inside and say, like, what is she, what does she really want to be doing? What are the values that she is is thinking about? And, you know, she uh, left and I talked to her the other day and she was like, I want to help small businesses. And I realized, you know, that in like one person can go and talk to a very small business and really think through that. And like, I want to be able uh, to, to support. Um, and if it's just me uh, and I can freelance, and I can do this. Like, I think I can, I can help these, these small businesses uh, here, here in the city. And I was like, that's, that's, an, that's amazing. Like, I think that that is such a, it's a great uh, alignment of, of what you want to do, but you had to take that leap, right? Like we're at Thought Matter, we're again, we're always thinking about different kind of work we could be doing. We want to listen to the staff, but you know, we can't help the, um, the, the smallest business uh, that, you know, might not be able to either, again, have that value exchange, you know, we're probably you know, too big for, you know, just some things that we couldn't necessarily do. Um, and so, like I said, for her, it was taking taking that that leap. And now she's she's trying to, to uh, do more more of that work. And so I do think that there are times that you know, you might say, I, I have, everything's working great for me. I have a job, I'm doing everything I need to be doing, but there's something off. Um, and you might not be able to take a leap, like I'm gonna leave my job, but what you can do is start to say, okay, are there are there personal projects? Are there or self-initiated projects uh, that I could be doing that align with those values? Um, are there people out there that are doing the type of work or having the type of conversations I wanna be having and like reaching out to them? Um, I always say, and somebody gave me this advice long ago that, um, um, people love talking about themselves. So our podcasts are so popular, but no. Um, and so if you reach out to somebody and you're like, I love the work you're doing. I want to learn more. I want to know more about how you're doing it. I'll give you, I'll, you know, I'll buy you a couple of coffee. Now it's hard to do, but like do a quick Zoom chat or, or offer a cup of coffee when you can get back into that. Uh, that more nine times out of 10 or more times than you expect, people will say, yes, I would love to tell you a little bit more about what I'm doing. Um, you know, you have to be careful, like what you don't want to necessarily ask for, for something, but like, if you're just wanting to know like what and how they did it or what they're doing and you never know where that could, could lead to. So, so yeah, so I feel like the advice I'd give to, to somebody who's kind of questioning everything, which I think is the, you know, the spirit, the, the, the cultural zeitgeist, um, is to really think about, like I said, what what drives you? What are those values? And then look for things that align with those values. And like I said, it might not be um, a job or a piece of work, but it might be that thinking. Um, there might be authors and books and things, but you have to know what you're looking for, right? It's not just like yeah. open soul searching. It's got to be, um, you know, I wanna I wanna do more work that is, um, you know purpose-driven or I want to do something more in social impact, but really digging into what that means. Because as I said earlier, it's so easy to, um, you know, uh, say you're doing it and it's like more performative. You're like, yep, I'm here we go. I'm doing this, the social without really knowing what that, what that looks like and what, what the work entails. Um, so 
yeah, doing doing your research, doing your homework and, and kind of just diving in. And I think that's what creatives do, right? Like we love that. Yeah. And I also just think, you know, to accepting that we can't be all things to everyone. That's, you know, that's we're one, you know, we're individuals. And I think I think if you start small and you enjoy the process, and as you said there, you get out and you meet like-minded people and you put it out into the world, create something from nothing, you just never, you can be really surprised with the results and how far those things can go. So I just think, uh, I think that's wonderful advice, Jesse. And, um, you know, it's, um, it's good times for that. The tools we have at our fingertips and, you know, the information we can get to these days, I think there's no better time for it. Um, I think I've covered more or less everything. And I just think that's going to be a blast of inspiration for anyone who listens. It certainly has been for me. Uh, yeah, this has been a, a, a lot of fun. I said it. There's, uh, <laughs> it's always, as, as, uh, whoever, as my, one of my mentors said, people, people love talking about, about themselves and what they're doing. And, um, for me, I said, I love just talking about what the, the team of Thought Matter is up to. Uh, and then also, I think, you know, something I've been learning over this past year is how important it is to talk about my own story. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, something that, um, you know, goes through my brain every single day is that representation matters, that you want to hear people's story. And that I think um, as a young designer, I never, you know, again, we podcasts weren't as popular, but, um, you know, just articles or when I would go to conferences or when you'd look in the, the, the graphic design books, like I never saw designers that looked like me. I never, I never, I've never met a designer who said, oh, I was adopted in a third world country. Um, and I, you know, made my way and did my thing. Um, you know, even now it's, 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 it's um, I, I try to look for uh, designers who have been in the industry for a while that um, have had to uh, think through the similar hurdles that I've had to, to, to go um, over as a woman, as a, you can't tell in the zoom, but I'm short. Um, but as a, as a, as a short brown woman, like what, what that looks like and how you navigate the world and how you think about it. And it's not necessarily something that always has to be the first thing that comes out of your mouth, but it's something that is, um, plays a role in how people see you and how people understand your work. Um, so like I said, I'm very, I'm thankful that you invited me on the podcast and you wanted to hear the story. And, you know, like I said, I haven't, um, not in, haven't written any books. I know you have uh and other people have and those are usually the people that get on, get to go on podcasts and so so yeah so like i said i think that this is a, a great time for uh design and um thinking about who is behind the work that that's that's happening big thank you to jesse mcguire for taking the time out of a busy schedule to talk to me and a big thank you to thought matter a wonderful agency doing great work getting behind this podcast getting behind the arts and the power of design head over to their site now at thoughtmatter.com um, and in particular the in-between section of the website for all of their awesome activism and self-initiated work you can get to that now at inbetween.thoughtmatter.com so i hope Jesse got you fired up like she did me. I want your thoughts over on social media at Ben Talon Pod. Thank you very much to the supporters of the show for making this possible. IllustrationX.com and the Association of Illustrators who you can find over at theaoi.com doing a lot of great work in the illustration game. These guys do, of course, work together. So there's a lot of unity on this show uh, and it wouldn't be possible without them. So cheers, guys. Coming up soon, we do have music industry legend Alan McGee the man who discovered Oasis, Primal Scream, Jesus and Mary Chain. 
He, to this day, signs new bands up to Creation 23, his label, and the Creation Stories film is due out any time now. Got him coming up on the show in the next episode, and he's going to be closely followed by the brilliant Tim Easley, who is an illustrator, designer, and photographer. And also, indie book publisher now, so go and check out Tim's book on the moon. It's brilliant, his moon photography, which... You don't need to know much more than that. It's just a lot of images, beautiful images of the moon in various ways and also some little facts about the moon so you can learn about space if Earth is getting too much for you like it is for a lot of people. So cheers, guys. Like I said earlier on, please do subscribe, drop us a little review, share the podcast, however works best for you. It's all really good stuff that helps out doing this thing and spreading the word about creativity and the many, many benefits that we all get as human beings. Thank you for listening. Have a brilliant week. Check us out soon. See you later, guys.